morning, church. There's a few more of you that braved the elements this service than last. It was quite the morning, wasn't it? So if you don't know me, my name is Joel Lingenfelter. You might know me as the guy who uh, hits your inbox every week or so with the uh, Wednesday update, except last week during the holidays. And uh, it's nice to be with you in person as opposed to just in your inbox. So uh, we are going to use quite a bit of scripture this morning. So if you are here and you need a Bible, please put your hand up and our ushers will be happy to get you one. Uh, if you are at home or you're here and would prefer to use a device, the YouVersion Bible app uh, has an events tab and likes to evangelical free churches in there. And that will take you straight to all the various scripture that we'll use today. <clears throat> so many, many years ago, uh, while we still lived in upstate New York, those of you who know me will be surprised to learn that I was sent to my room. Now, I know that's a great shock, but I wasn't a perfect child. Okay, I have to admit, I realize you all probably assumed I was, but, but I, I was not. Uh, true story. And uh, despite my best efforts, I was sent to my room. Now, I was sent there because my room was in a state of tremendous chaos and disorder, uh, and I was to bring it to a state of order and cleanliness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but cleaning my room was never my favorite activity. In fact, I'd have much rather been outside playing with my friends, riding my bike, going on adventures through the fields, uh, or at least downstairs with the rest of the family. But the wretched state of my room meant that I was confined to that space until such time as it passed inspection. So after some amount of time, I went downstairs and said to my parents, okay, you can check my room. And my dad immediately responded with, nope, it's not done yet, you need to keep working on it. Now, for our younger audience, there once upon a time was a time where there was no Wi-Fi, there were no security cameras, there were no iPhones, there was no way for my dad to know back in the dark ages that my room wasn't done unless he was privy to a little bit of God's omniscience or some other secret he just wasn't telling me. So I begrudgingly went back upstairs and continued to clean my room. Now as the story has been told to me, this happened more than once. Somehow my dad just knew that my room wasn't ready for inspection despite my own personal disagreement on this point. And then I came down and said, come and see my room, it looks perfect. And my parents immediately got upstairs, got up, went upstairs to my room and took in the splendor and glory that was Joel's clean room. Now, at some point, out of earshot, my mom asked my dad, how did you know his room wasn't clean until now? To which my dad replied, when he's proud of it, he won't tell us we can come inspect it. He'll want us to come and see. Now, isn't that an interesting little element of human behavior? We want to share what we're excited about. We want to share the things that make us happy. You know, my friend Don has been renovating his basement for a long time. I've been in it. I've spent time there. He lives in Colorado. But he just recently finished it. And he keeps telling me, you've got to come and see it. You've got to come and see it. Well, it's not because he can't send me a picture, right? But it's that he wants to share it. He wants the conversation that will happen. He wants the relationship that will happen. He wants to share what's important. He wants to be together, right? And when we are excited about something, we want others to come and be part of it. 
Now, over the last month, we've been celebrating Christmas, right? We've been reading stories, we've been singing songs, watching movies, decorating our homes. I mean, Lidditz has amazing lights, right? Y'all been to Laurel Lane? Like, holy cow, how does the electric grid keep up with that place is really my question. It's incredible. And, and why have we been doing that? Well, because Christmas is incredibly important. In fact, it is the most, it celebrates the birth of Christ, the most important moment in all of human history. You know, everything around our calendar, our calendar is totally hinged on the birth of Christ, right? Before Christ, B.C., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, right? Or for some, before Christian era and Christian era. Those who like B.C.E. and C.E., I don't think that's what they call it, but that's how I read it. Um, you know, Christmas observances, they, they tend to start somewhere around the point at which Gabriel proclaimed the truth of John the Baptist or the, the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah, right? That's what we, we start observing. And then they typically end around the point when the wise men come and give gifts. So no complaints, right? Those are the bookends of the Christmas story. But if we're stopped there, we're left with an infant in a manger, or a two-year-old receiving expensive gifts from foreigners. The story is much bigger than that. Now, the Gospels, they give us four accounts of the life of Christ. Each of these accounts was written with a specific audience in mind and a specific purpose. And this is not uncommon even today. For example, when I was in high school, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded shortly after launch. Now, as you would expect, uh, this unfortunate event has been studied at great length to understand what went wrong. Now, we had the opportunity to be at a friend's house, uh, Bob and Wilma, they were in our church, and Bob worked for Rockwell International. Don't worry about that yet, that's a little early. Um, and, and Bob worked for Rockwell International, and on his kitchen counter was a report. I'm not kidding, it was about that thick. It was well north of a thousand pages, and it was a report on the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Now, now, that isn't the only thing you could ever read. This, this thing you see here on screen is on Amazon right now. And it also tells the story of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Now, I have to admit, as interesting as it looked, I didn't read through the 1,000, 2,000 page document from Rockwell International, and I haven't purchased the comic book and read that. But I don't think it's much of a stretch to say they're gonna be very different. Right? They are about the same event, but they're going to be very different. The Gospels have even more source material than these books do. They have the entire life and ministry of Jesus. And each of their writers set to take that original source material, the actual events, and lay it out in a way that would help their reader understand who Jesus is. And that would perhaps lead them to commit and choose to follow him. Now, because each of these Gospels are written to a different audience, events in the life of Jesus are often arranged thematically rather than in a linear timeline. This allows the message of the Gospel to be laid out in a fashion that will make the most sense to a targeted audience. So if you handed a 10-year-old the report from Rockwell International on the shuttle disaster, they wouldn't make it past the first page. And if you handed a senior manager of Rockwell International the comic book, I imagine they'd be a little disappointed at the information presented. Information is best when it's presented in a way respective of its audience. 
Now, a personal observation to this is that some of the events in the life of Christ get more attention than others simply because of the way the books are laid out. The birth of Jesus, a lot of attention, right? The miracles, the Passion Week, the Sermon on the Mount, the death and resurrection, they, they get substantial attention, and rightfully so. Other elements, sometimes they get a little lost because they're spread out and sprinkled through the four Gospels. So we just concluded a series on Advent, on the birth of Christ. And next week, Pastor Tony's going to begin a series called Bonafide, which is a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, part of how we prepare for these series is that Tony will gather together a bunch of pastors and elders and other folks within the church, and we will discuss. And there's time we have to spend preparing. And in my own preparation for that meeting about the Sermon on the Mount, as I was reading through Matthew, I was struck of how there's three verses between the calling of the disciples and the Sermon on the Mount. But yet, we know that a lot of time passed between those two things. And it just got me really thinking about what happened between the Advent and the Sermon on the Mount. Like, what are the things that, that stand in that gap? So, that leads us to this morning. We stand at the beginning of a new year. Let's take a moment and look back at the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus. But before we can start talking about Jesus' ministry, we do need to back up and begin visit the very beginning of the Christmas story. Specifically, we should read the proclamation of the birth of John the Baptist. So if you'd open your Bibles or pull up your app and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. In turn, the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready the people, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The words of the angel Gabriel give us a picture of what role John would play. John's role was to prepare the people to receive the Lord Jesus by calling them to repentance, by encouraging them to live according to the word of God. And John did this ministry well. He set the standard for what it means to be a pastor. Now, when I say he set the standard, I don't mean that we're supposed to wear camel's hair and eat locusts and wild honey. Those things are very, very, very first century. We don't have our, there we go. That's, that's the image I was looking for. Those, those things are very first century, right? But what he did do was set the pattern for how all of us, not just pastors, should do ministry, which is what? We point people to Jesus. Now, how did he do that when he didn't even have any idea of who Jesus was? Well, turn with me to John 1.22, and let's hear from John the Baptist. Let's turn to the book of John, again, chapter 1. 
So the Jewish leaders, they sent some messengers to John to ask him some questions. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who'd been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now John, despite what we would look at as crazy dress and, and diet and everything else. John had disciples. Now, disciples are people who followed him. They served with him. They assisted him in the ministry. And most importantly, they heard everything he said. They were there when he answered the priests and the Levites. They were there when he baptized Jesus. They were there that when he declared that Jesus was the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's message was consistent, repent, turn from your sin, and it's the one who comes after me, Jesus, that will offer you forgiveness for those sins. So let's continue in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, this is one of those passages that we often read right on by. In fact, first service, I kept going, right? We read right on by it, because, and we just don't stop and think about it. But when we read past it, we miss something really important. You know, being a disciple is an all-in proposition, right? Where they go, you go. Where they do, what they do, you do. What they say, you repeat. Where they stay, you stay, right? You don't be that all in on something. I mean, it'd be like an Eagles fan going like, hey, look, another team. Right? It's not going to happen. Right? Because you've been all in. And, and that's this. They're all in on John. And in a moment's notice, what did they do? They left to follow Jesus. Why? Because they believed the message that John was preaching. See, Jesus was the Lamb of God. And if you were going to devote your life to following someone, it'd be much better to follow the master than the one that's set to point you to the master. But what's even more important is that John clearly believed this message as well. You see, disciples are prestigious, right? You have followers, you have people, you are the man. You don't just send them away, not when you're still active. 
But John did just that. He didn't try to stop them. He encouraged them. Look, the Lamb of God. If Jesus himself walked in the room right now, every person in the entire world, including my mom, who's here right now, would rather hear what he had to say than listen to me. And that's how it should be, right? Because all of us, every one of us, should be focused on the subject of the message, not the person delivering it. So when John identified that Jesus was the one that he was proclaiming, his disciples left and followed Jesus. This speaks to both the credibility of John's message, they really heard and understood what he said, and the credibility of Jesus, right? He lived up to what John said. So let's continue in verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. They didn't just go to see what Jesus was up to. They asked where he was staying because they were going to be staying there too. You see, the time of day, the reason we talk about it being four in the afternoon is that it matters. It tells us that if they follow him somewhere, they're not going to be able to go home. There's no train to take. There's no bus service. They can't drive home. And the roads are not safe to travel at night. Come and see wasn't a watch from a distance invitation. It was an invitation to the front lines. To come and see meant risk. Now we know that there were two disciples that left to follow Jesus. One we'll read about in a moment, but the second is not mentioned. And many scholars think this is because the second disciple, the one who left to follow Jesus, was our author, John himself. Now John is not John the Baptist, it's John usually refers to in the book of John as the disciple that Jesus loved, or we call him John the Beloved. Now this may be true, but there's no one currently around that we can ask that knows for sure. So we're just going to continue with verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed him. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Now, if you look in the other gospels, you see that, that they were fishing when they came upon Jesus. So my guess is that Andrew went and the first thing, what his brother's always doing is fishing. He went fishing with him and then proceeded to tell him about Jesus. He did life with him and told him about Jesus. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus, lo Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So Andrew was a disciple of John. But once he knew who Jesus was and he had chosen to follow him, the first thing he did was find his brother and tell him the good news. All of their lives, all of their lives, they've been looking towards the coming of the Messiah. And now they knew who he was. And Simon didn't just take his word for it, he came to see. 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Now isn't that interesting? Andrew learns who Jesus is and he follows him. He tells his brother, who learns who Jesus is, and he follows him. They tell Philip, who learns who Jesus is, and follows him. Now notice how quickly Philip follows Jesus. 
I think we are told where Philip is from so that we can understand that he almost certainly knew Andrew and Peter. And the fact that they were following Jesus would have given Jesus credibility to Philip. Don't miss this. The fact that they were following Jesus provided credibility when Jesus called Philip. And when Philip was invited to follow Jesus, he responded to that invitation because people that he knew were following Jesus. So what about us? Do we keep our faith to ourselves? Or do we tell others what we're doing? Do we tell others who we are following? Our lives and our testimony is critical to our worlds following Jesus. So let's see what happens next. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Now, this room is quiet, so let me rephrase. New Jersey, can anything good come from New Jersey? There we go. No is what I heard over here. And what does Philip do? He doesn't come to the defense of New Jersey or, or Nazareth, right? He just says what? Come and see. This is moving fast, so let me pause and recap as we walk through what's going on and why it matters. The Greeks have a word. Well, they got a lot of words, but, but they have one that I want to pause and focus on. The word is oikos. At its most basic level, it means household. But in the first century, household wasn't just the people under your roof. It was the people you did life with. It was your friends, your family, your servants, the people that you spent your time with. It was your relational world. Now, if you were a rabbi, if you were a teacher... Your oikos consisted first and foremost with your, of your disciples, the people that listened to you, that worked with you, that lived with you, that went where you went, that interacted with your teaching. These were your best friends in the entire world. John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus to his oikos and to the world. And two members of his oikos left the safety and security of those tight relationships to do something better, to follow Jesus. One of those disciples was Andrew, who immediately went to a member of his oikos, Simon, called Peter, and told him about Jesus. Then Jesus invites Philip to join them, and while we don't know if Andrew and Simon were in Philip's oikos, we do know that they were from the same small fishing village, and it seems likely that Andrew and Philip were friends. The fact that Andrew and Peter were following Jesus encouraged Philip to follow as well. And what does Philip do? He immediately goes to Nathanael, who's also called Bartholomew, a member of his oikos, and tells him about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a pattern here. Proclaim Jesus to your oikos. Invite them to come and see who Jesus is. They come, they meet Jesus, and then they proclaim to tell him, tell their oikos about him. It's like on the old laundry soap box. Cycle, rinse, repeat. Right? Cycle, rinse, repeat. Proclaim Jesus. They know Jesus. They proclaim Jesus. 
But there's an interesting interchange between Andrew and Nathaniel, right? The Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel was skeptical of Jesus, and rather than argue, Philip just said, come and see. Come and see. Don't sit on the sidelines. Come and see. Don't argue. Don't debate. Just come and see what's happening and make your own decision. See who Jesus is. And how did Nathaniel respond? He went to see. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It was the testimony of Philip that got Nathanael to come and see who Jesus was. But it was Jesus himself that convinced Nathanael to follow him. Now you might be thinking, yeah, okay, it was really easy for them, right? They just take him and introduce him to Jesus. And my answer to you is that nothing has changed, right? Jesus is not dead. As a kid, we sang the song, I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is risen, no matter what men may say. Our Savior lives. The truth and glory of the resurrection means that we have the same responsibility today that each of these disciples had. Follow Jesus, tell others about him, and introduce them to him. Now, we've had a number of baptisms in this, this fall. They've been amazing. But two of the, the testimonies really stood out to me. Shane in October, we showed it in our service on November 1st, and Caden last weekend. Now, if you were here or if you heard those online, these men we baptized, they proclaimed how they reached out to Jesus and an incredible peace came over them. A peace that surpassed all understanding. And it was through this peace that God communicated his love to them and their lives were changed. Each of these men had others in their lives who told them about Jesus. And they reached a point, a low point, where they reached out and they surrendered. And then they experienced supernatural peace and joy. And most importantly, their lives were changed. I encourage you to watch your, their testimonies. If you weren't with us, you can go on our website, lafc.net slash resources, and you'll see those baptism testimonies. Or you can watch the service last week and from November 1st to see those. They are powerful testimonies of the work of God in people's lives. It's the start of a new year. Right? We've talked about that. It is 2021. Much has been made of getting out of 2020, but the change of the date on the calendar is not going to change a thing for any one of us. What will change is allowing the peace of God to fill you and making Jesus the Lord of your life. Do you have that peace? Are you a follower of Jesus or are you someone who hasn't taken the time to come and see what he's about? Are you ready to take the step of following him? It's, it's easy. It's as easy as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for your sins. And see, choose to follow him. Come and see who Jesus is. He will change your life. Of course, I hope, many of you who are listening to me are already followers of Jesus. And to you, I ask this question. Are you like Andrew and Philip, who made it a priority to tell others about Jesus or are you keeping it quiet? Are you that little kid coming down the stairs anxious to show his clean room to mom and dad? 
or you're the one that's just begrudgingly doing the work. Now, maybe you don't know how, right? That's a valid question. How do we introduce our oikos to Jesus? How do we introduce Jesus to our relational world, the people that God has put in our life? The calling of Matthew, a tax collector known as Levi, gives us a great example to follow. Let's look in the book of Mark, chapter 2. I'll start in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and followed him. Then verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. Jesus called Levi, and without hesitation, he got up, he left his very profitable tax collection booth. In Luke, it tells us that he left everything, and he followed Jesus. But did you notice what happened next? Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home to eat with him and his oikos. Who was his oikos? They were tax collectors, they were sinners, they were Rejects, they were the people that society wanted no part of. But Jesus, Jesus didn't hesitate because Jesus loves everyone. And Jesus did not hesitate to be with them. But notice how simple that was. Levi, who we now know as Matthew, was introducing his relational world to Jesus within hours of meeting him. You know, I imagine if you went to Matthew at that point and said, Matthew, could you... Help me understand the doctrine of predestination versus free will. He would have just looked at you and scratched his head. Partly because he didn't speak English. Okay, we got that. But, but also because he didn't know any theology. The only theological question he could answer was, do you know Jesus? And his answer was yes, right there. And that's really it. That's what we need to know to introduce others to Jesus. We need to know Jesus. That's what each of these examples today has shown us. Andrew met Jesus and told Peter. Peter met Jesus and then he and Andrew told Philip. Philip met Jesus and told Nathaniel. All they knew was Jesus. Every single person listening to me right now has an oikos. It's a group of 8 to 15 people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life so that you can share Jesus with them you can share the good news. How will you respond to the knowledge that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Will you tell them the good news or will you keep it to yourself? When we are excited about great things, we can't wait to share it with others, like my young self and his clean bedroom. And if you aren't excited about Jesus, maybe it's time to reacquaint yourself with him. Maybe it's time to read the Gospels again. Maybe you need to spend more time in prayer in the morning or in the evening or in the afternoon. Whatever time of day works, there's nothing magical about the morning. But I encourage you to set time aside every day to read or listen to the Bible and reacquaint yourself with the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The YouVersion app has, has reading plans that will walk you through the Gospels 
book of Acts is really fun as well to see the church come alive. Come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. He loves you. He died for you. He takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb and God, Lamb of God. Come and see and invite others to come and see. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We are thankful for this day. We are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we are thankful that you didn't leave us to die in our sin, but that you provided a Savior. And Lord, we are thankful that all we need to know to start telling others about Jesus is to know you. So Lord, we just ask for your faithfulness. We ask for your kindness. We ask that you would just bless us and allow us to fill with excitement of knowing you and to share that excitement in others and invite them to come and see. Lord, we love you, and we just praise you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Following Jesus was more than an experience of a lifetime for his disciples. Proclaiming the reality of who Jesus is and what he did was something every one of them was willing to die for. And in fact, all but one of them were killed for following Jesus. The testimony of John the Baptist was backed up by the words and deeds of Jesus. And the disciples, they never looked back. I guarantee you that Andrew and the disciple who left, the other disciple who left John, I guarantee you they never regretted following Jesus, even when they faced death for doing so. As wonderful as the Christmas season is, today we stand between Christmas morning and Easter morning, when the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us comes into clear focus. If you're worshiping with us at home, now is the time to be sure you have your communion elements ready. Communion is a special moment where we stop and we reflect on what Jesus did for us. Taking the elements is one of the few things in the church that is reserved for those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior. But at LEFC, any follower of Jesus may take communion. You do not need to be a member of this church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, take this time of reflection to consider what you've heard today and simply set aside the bread and the cup when we partake later on. If you do call Jesus your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did today for the first time, as we begin, take this time to reflect, to confess, and to prepare your heart and mind to take the elements. So we're going to sing a song called Come and See. Just take some time as we do to reflect. We invite you to remain seated, meditate on these words as we sing.
Jesus spent an incredible amount of time with his disciples. They were his oikos, the only household he had. As he was coming close to the end of his time on earth, he gathered them together to prepare them for what was to happen next. In just a matter of hours, he would be arrested, beaten, and ultimately placed upon a Roman cross. His sinless body was going to be sacrificed. Jesus and his disciples had a meal together. And then scripture tells us that on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Oh Lord, thank you for being the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for the work you did here, spreading the word, teaching us how to know and love the Father, loving people, healing people, living a perfect sinless life. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us to pray. Thank you for teaching us how to receive your word and your spirit. And Lord, thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. Lord, all of these things, we owe you. We owe you everything. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. 
You are so good. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. The problem of sin had been with mankind since sin first entered the world in the garden. And the law had been given, a covenant that showed how inadequate we were and how impossible it was for us to even think that we could be perfect. But Jesus, Jesus represents a new covenant, a covenant in his blood, the blood of a perfect lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. It is through the blood of Christ that we are saved. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you that you paid the penalty for our sin. We thank you that you were the perfect sacrifice, that you are the perfect sacrifice, that you were able to cover my iniquities, those I love, everyone's iniquities of the whole world. Lord, thank you that you came. Thank you that you provided an answer when we were lost, when we were dead in our sin. And Lord, thank you for being that perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We love you. You are our living hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and celebrate the incredible living hope and mercy that has been shown to us.
Jesus is our living hope. You know, last week, Pastor Randy asked us a question. He said, have you forgotten the gospel? Right? Has it just become such an ordinary part of your life that you don't even think about it, that you don't share it? God has put people in your life, people that need to know Jesus, And if you don't know who they are, ask God to show you. Ask him to tell you and then pray for them. Pray for them, be with them, love them, do life with them, and share your love of Jesus with them so that they may know what you are excited about and that they have the opportunity to come and see who Jesus is and what he's done for us and did for them. Come and see and invite others to come and see. You are dismissed. God bless.